0: Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done, perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20.
1: Today on CityCast DC, it's our Friday News Roundup, and I am here with Dan Reed and with CityCast's Priyanka Tilvey. This week, while America is talking about what's happening in a certain local courtroom, We are talking about the mystery of a canceled Asian-American book festival, the non-mystery of why D.C. loses power in thunderstorms, and another plan to fix Pennsylvania Avenue. Today is Friday, August 4th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what D.C. is talking about. So Priyanka, there was an announcement late last week, I guess, of a very small Asian-American literature festival that was going to be taking place in Petworth. And although we are cultural omnivores here at CityCast, that's probably not the kind of thing that would make our Friday news roundup, except for the fact that it sheds new attention on a weird and I think kind of undercovered mystery of the summer, which is that the Smithsonian had a very big Asian-American literary festival planned and about a month ago abruptly canceled it. So what's going on? Can you talk about what happened and what the response has been?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So like, I mean, one of the main things here is that I wish I had more clarity that I could shed on this situation because it is really opaque and it's bizarre given that this has been a story that people have been talking about to some extent for about a month now. So the basic details are that the Smithsonian was supposed to have this massive Asian American lit fest this whole weekend. It was supposed to be from the 4th through the 6th, three-day event. It was supposed to be at the Eaton Hotel downtown, and it was going to be hosted by the Smithsonian's Asian Pacific American Center. This is an event that's supposed to happen every two years in D.C. Unfortunately, obviously, this shocking thing called the pandemic came in and disrupted that, so they did 2017, 2019, and this was going to be the post-pandemic comeback. And then randomly on July 5th. So just like one month before this whole thing is supposed to take off, the Smithsonian canceled it very abruptly saying that the event just wasn't prepared enough, wasn't planned enough, and that they felt like they couldn't go ahead with putting on a shabbily put together event. They they were just like, this is not going to be representative of what we're capable of. And so they canceled it. But a lot of the festival organizers say, one, we were further along than we've been in previous years when we've had this festival. Two, the Smithsonian said that, oh, we didn't get like the AV technical requirements that people were going to need. And we didn't get like a program of what events were being planned out. And the festival organizers, like we sent all of that well before the deadlines. And the Washington Post is, which is the publication that kind of broke all of this, they've seen emails to that effect, backing up what the festival organizers had said. And so it kind of just takes away a lot of credibility from the Smithsonian's argument that the event wasn't being planned up to snuff, and opens the door for a lot of questioning and skepticism about what was really behind this cancellation.
1: But so what what are the theories? Like if it's not about like AV requirements or whatever?
2: (laughs) Yeah, so... It seems to be mostly centering around trans and queer representation. There was this open letter that activists and organizers wrote to the Smithsonian and published online after the Smithsonian canceled the event, and they said that they're really deeply troubled to discover that a driving factor behind the festival's cancellation might have been the Smithsonian's desire to censor trans and non-binary programming. There was supposed to be this specific event celebrating trans and non-binary authors, and basically. Earlier in the day, on July 5th, the acting director had told the planning team that they need to submit a report about any potentially sensitive or controversial content. When they submitted that report detailing this particular event, hours later, the entire festival got canceled. So as our production assistant, Susanna Brown says, this could be a causation correlation confusion because it's hard to say definitively that the submission of this report is what led to the cancellation, but it is suspiciously close, and the Smithsonian hasn't given a reason that people seem to believe contrary to this, which means that people are like, okay, well, then maybe it is this, which is a really bad look.
1: So the Smithsonian, I mean, there's like a long history of like culture war members of Congress getting on their high horse and threatening funding over controversial, quote unquote, content in the museum Smithsonian, or National Endowment for the Arts grant recipients, etc. And so I assume the Smithsonian has a protocol, like if something's coming down the pike that could get us in trouble with some far-right member of Congress, we are going to, you know, do whatever due diligence we have to make sure that we've, you know, got things done in the proper manner. But in this case, according to this theory, which seems pretty plausible, it didn't lead to them doing due diligence. It led them to doing cancellation.
2: Yeah. I wonder if potentially the time factor was at play there too. Like maybe they were supposed to do, like start this process way earlier in order to do all of their due diligence and then just didn't jump on the ball fast enough or something like that. But it, it, again, it's still a very, very bad look if that is the reason that they have canceled this festival.
1: But look, there is a enabling legislation for an LGBT museum, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Was there anything specific that we know about in the programming? Or was it just, in general, something focusing on trans voices within
3: this literary world? I wouldn't be surprised if it was just the presence of trans and non-binary people. Like, it's convenient. And I, I do wonder, you know, there's an argument that maybe the timing issues related to like how long it would take to work through that. But that also seems like, you know, if somebody didn't want this program to go forward because of the presence of trans and non-binary authors, even if they presented this three or four months ago, someone could run down the clock, right? Like
1: That's true. Okay, so how has the Smithsonian responded by denying that accusation?
2: Yes, yeah. They have denied that accusation. They've also now said that the cancellation was actually meant to be a postponement and that there will be another version of this event that they haven't provided any details as to when that's going to be. The activists and organizers who published that open letter had also called for the resignation of the acting director um, and the Smithsonian responded saying that like they are starting a search for a new permanent director and they will have staff inclusion on the committee and that they're just trying to be more aware of this issue um, as they move forward.
1: Wait, this issue being, what, the existence of trans people or the, <laughs> the, or the record of, or the allegation of censorship?
2: I think the allegation of censorship and, like, the importance of inclusion in making major decisions for the organization moving forward.
1: You know, I go back to, like, in, like, the 80s, there was a Maplethorpe show at the Corcoran. It was canceled for fear of, like, congressional backlash over homoerotic pictures, this is thought of as like kind of a major the, the the response to that the reaction against that is thought of as like a major moment in like arts organizing and so on in this case it's not been anything like the kind of maplethorpe thing they 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 were projecting slides of his pictures on gallery walls from the outside as part of the protest tougher to do with literature but there is a little washington response and we'll see it in petworth yes
2: yeah so there's basically everyone who could is going to make it out this weekend anyway, and they're going to do an event on Sunday at Loyalty Books, small little bookstore in Petworth, and it's basically like a mini version, as in like super, super mini version of what this festival was meant to be this weekend. They're calling Ghosts and Spirits a Resurrected Asian American Lit Fest, and I'm sure it'll be cool. So if you have the time and you're you're around that area, go check it out.
0: When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out.
1: On a Saturday night, I was uh, home minding my own business, and all of a sudden the power went out. There had been a storm, and uh, you know, I took a walk, and it was crazy, right? Like, because it took a while for the power to come back. One block away, everything was normal, like 21st century life, and then my, my street was dark. It was so dark, and the city was like, I don't know, it was like biblical, <laughs> blocked, blocked streets and trees strewn everywhere, and like pitch. Darkness, And so, of course, I thought if if my phone weren't out of power, I'd probably call Dan Reed right now because uh, they are my go-to person on all matters of urban infrastructure (laughs) issues. It's not news in Washington. You have thunderstorms in the summer and power goes out. But Dan, can you explain what the deal is here? Like what's unique about Washington in this story?
3: Yeah, so this is a big storm, right? Like I didn't lose power on Saturday and I'm I'm really happy because I was doing a lot of cooking and baking and there was no way I was gonna let my vegan brownies be at risk <laughs> during the big storm. But some 200,000 people lost power on Saturday. Thankfully, they've all gotten their power back since then. And we can expect big storms like this to happen more in the future because of climate change. And that means we have to make our power grid more resilient. This isn't the first time this has happened, though. You know, I remember growing up here in the 90s and 2000s, and big power outages like this were super common, because at the time, Pepco used to be one of the most unreliable electric utility companies in the nation, right? I'm sure you remember this too, Mike, right? Like, days without power, multiple times every summer. Right. And so what happens
1: in D.C. is there are thunderstorms and trees fall and trees knock down power lines. And then... Inevitably, a conversation follows, or at least like people on their back porch griping about this, come to this question of why are these power lines above ground in the first place? Why don't they bury them like all our other lines?
3: Yeah, so that's why DC is working on something called DC Plug, plug, uh, which is a (laughs) a public-private partnership between the DC government and PEPCO that will strategically underground overhead feeders. Those are the things like the high voltage things that serve power to other places in wards three, four, five, seven, and 8. So these are like the areas sort of on the edges of DC where you have big trees and more above ground power lines. Half of the district, presumably wards 1, 2 and 6, are already served by underground lines. So for those people who don't have the
1: ward map internalized, Those cover most of the densest parts of downtown
3: Washington. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is part of a sort of ongoing conversation about how to make the power grid more resilient. D.C. passed legislation in 2014 to sort of start the ball rolling on undergrounding utilities. And even before that, as early as like 2011, 2012, there were conversations about undergrounding utilities in Maryland as well. There were a big series of outages in 2011, if you remember the 2012 derecho, uh, which is a huge uh, storm that knocked out part a lot of the region. Uh, And Pepco, when it merged with a bigger utility called Exelon, uh, was required to meet these reliability guidelines they had to hit every year, uh, which in part meant they had to underground power lines or trim back trees in areas where there were power lines. And within just a couple of years, but like 2016, Pepco was regularly starting to meet those thresholds, which is cool. So this is sort of the next step of that, right? It's one thing to trim trees back in the suburbs so you can get your power lines unencumbered. It's another thing to start burying them. It's super expensive and complicated, especially in urban areas. Yeah, that seems really expensive. Has there ever been money appropriated for that? It seems like the
1: kind of thing like, I don't know, a national infrastructure bill that's designed to create jobs would maybe
3: be good at. So every two years, DC and Pepco put together what they call the biennial plan uh, that basically lays out what they're going to do over the next two years. And so they're working on one this this summer, basically, according to this large 551-page document that I'm reading, part of it comes from increasing how much you pay for electricity.
2: So like the growing price of electric as a utility funds this?
3: Right. Every so often, Pepco has to ask for permission to raise their rates. And so that's part of this. They're asking to raise their rates to cover the cost of this. And uh, it looks like their current thing that they agreed to in 2022 would collect about four and a half million dollars in revenues, uh, which meanwhile, they intend to add about twenty nine million dollars of infrastructure as part of the DC plug initiative. Is there any downside of
1: undergrounding besides the price? Like, you know, when, when something goes wrong, is it harder to determine where it is? I would imagine wires are up on lines, you can at least look and see oh, that that's the one that's broken.
3: Well, I, ideally it's, it's a lot less likely to fail because it's protected from the elements and everything. But if there is a problem, you have to go underground to figure it out. But that's like the same with like a water line or sewer line or what have you. I guess the challenge is and if something does go wrong, you might have to dig up the street. Uh, So one place where they don't usually
1: lose power, but not that you would be able to tell because it's kind of a dead zone anyway, is (laughs) Pennsylvania Avenue, the stretch between the White House and the Capitol. This is uh, supposed to be like America's Champs-Élysées, and it's the most famous avenue in the country. And yet generations and generations of people here have passed it and noticed like, well, it's kind of lame. There's a story of, I think, like Jackie Kennedy was like in the inaugural parade when her husband was being inaugurated and was like, oh, this is pretty dreary. Uh, And there have been generations of plans to revive it and make it better, and we are on the cusp of another one. About a year ago, the National Capital Planning Commission, which plans things around the national capital, issued three different views of what a revived, redone Pennsylvania Avenue might look like. One had kind of like a pedestrian boulevard down the middle of it. One got rid of cars altogether. One severely limited cars are maybe limited to like buses uh, and so on, all of which are designed to like breathe some life into this, this stretch of road. Now the Biden administration is partnering with the city government to kind of push the decisions and funding on whatever plan they wind up with. So this is just the portion between the White House and the Capitol, right? Correct. You know, I looked at this and, you know, and there was a lot of like, well, maybe it could be like One of the ideas was this could be like a street venue, right? There could be festivals there and pop-ups and things like that. And I'm kind of like, if you ever just like walk along that avenue, I think like downtown Washington, that part of downtown, like by the mall, like we have a car-free open space that's really, really good for festivals and pop-ups and all kinds of other things. It's called the mall. Like I don't actually (laughs) think downtown Washington needs more like pleasant, unbuilt, car-free space. What you need is,
3: is like things that you would want to go to. It's like a different character space, right? You know, we had a, a show last year. We talked about where will people grease the light poles to celebrate sports teams winning? Right. And in Philly, that's Broad Street, right? Like a big, a big major street, not like Pennsylvania Avenue.
2: Suppose first we need our teams to actually win.
3: Okay. <laughs> but, but look at like the, the real Champs-Élysées,
1: right? Which is, I don't think actual Parisians like hang out there that much, but like you usually hear people talking about, oh, I'm like, I'm going to go to Paris so I can go shopping on the Champs-Élysées. Well, you can't go shopping on Pennsylvania Avenue because there's nothing <laughs> to buy. There are not stores there. There aren't dry cleaners. There aren't dentist offices. There aren't um, any of the things that would cause you, uh, a regular person, to stroll down that mm-hmm. avenue. There are office buildings. There's a one hotel. There's a decrepit FBI building. There's like a couple, like right by the Navy Memorial, like weird old 19th century buildings that look kind of cool. And then you get down towards the museums that even like the like national theater and stuff is on a side street. You don't have things that uh, would actually cause you to go there on a weekend when there wasn't like a barbecue festival or whatever we're imagining throwing there. And I don't quite know how you do this, but, like, that's the thing that is missing. And and it's not really part of any of these plans.
2: Well, that's exactly it, though, right? Like, this is a redesign. They could maybe add stuff to that effect. Like, what I think would be really fun is if it ends up being, like, a big car-free pavilion with a bunch of streeteries on both sides. Maybe even some, like, Parisian-style ones where you just sit around and people watch. I think that's what they really need to do if they are going to have this be the downtown comeback plan that they're pitching it as because they are talking about this redesign as being part of that whole revitalization plan for downtown right but you have to like you're saying you have to make it a place that people actually want to go and hang out when there's not just a festival because festivals aren't going to be there every single day of the week
1: correct and i think you know i mean this gets into like a really wonky economics challenge you have all these buildings that are i'm sure the offices are very pricey there you want to have a pennsylvania avenue address for your lobbying firm or your law Mm -hmm. firm or whatever Like Priyanka can't just start like the cool bar that she's always wanted to start there. Like she would not be able to afford the rent. The only people who could afford the rent are
3: like the Cheesecake Factory. But that's going to keep like you from hanging out there. It's true. And a lot of the federal buildings don't have retail in them at all, right? No one can open a cafe in like the DOJ building.
2: Yeah. So it's really about like how far are they willing to go with this redesign? Because it truly needs like people are throwing around the word overhaul, but I haven't. The designs don't really look like the degree of overhaul that is necessary for this to right. succeed.
1: I feel like when renderings are released as part of proposals or arguments for why something should be done, the pictures of people they have, you know, strolling pleasantly through whatever this beautifully redesigned scene is, they should be obliged to have thought bubbles attached to them. So <laughs> <for> the person, <laughs> you can see the person saying, like, I'm walking to my uncle's house, or I'm on my way to an appointment at the dentist or or whatever because in a lot of them when you see the oh that looks like a pleasant scene but then you start thinking in real life why would any of these people be here Mm -hmm. that's where the kind of rubber hits the road
2: yeah Yeah, you're right
1: you know and that said like you know we, we put something up online and emails from readers were like yeah like let's get rid of motorized vehicles and we need a place that's inclusive for everybody and so on I just think that could happen and it could still be like completely empty and then feel kind of scary if there was actually nothing that literally drew people there. Huh. That's true. One of the thought bubbles could be I'm walking to my apartment on Pennsylvania Avenue. If they were to be able to turn to, to erect some residential stuff there, that would be part
3: of the dynamism. Yeah. It seems like, you know, if the the FBI actually does move, that's an opportunity to actually put some uses there that will actually give people reasons to go to Pennsylvania Avenue. And that's now on the table again, that the FBI could move to Maryland or Virginia. Hey, one
1: thing I learned was that the actual, one of the hopes when they envisioned what eventually became the Kennedy Center, like a national cultural space opera house, was that it would be on Pennsylvania Avenue. So, you know, the thought bubble would say, I'm going to the opera. (laughs) That's so much more convenient than where it is now.
2: Yeah, for real.
1: Indeed, indeed <laughs> Anyway, Dan, thank you as always for being here Brianka, good to see you Thanks for having me Yeah, same And that is all for today here on CityCast DC Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey Our producers are Julia Karen and Elizabeth Kama Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman Our production assistant is Susanna Brown And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me Michael Schaefer from Politico Music is by Alex Roll Dan. If you enjoyed the show, charge up your phone so that you can listen to it even after the power has gone out. And subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.
3: That's a great question. I need a second to look that up.